Hello everyone and welcome back to the MTG Novels Project. The MTG Novels Project is available both on YouTube and as a podcast version. Check the description for more details. A legal note. This is an unofficial audiobook with original content belonging to Wizards of the Coast. This content is covered under the 2017 Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Listener discretion is advised. Today we'll continue with Chapter 21 of Planeswalker by Lynn Abbey. If Gix could find me, he would find me. He would have found me before I left Pinkar City. He would have come for me while I slept. If he didn't want to be seen, he would have sent sleepers after me. Eight days after her narrow escape, Zancha sat in the branches of an oak tree. The sun would set sometime during the thunderstorm that was bearing in from the ocean. She'd been watching the clouds pile up all afternoon, watching the lightning since she left Rusiador with the day traders. Her armor tended to attract lightning, even as it protected her from the bolts and a big old tree standing by itself on a hillside wouldn't be a good hiding place much longer. Once the storm struck, Zancha figured she'd find a saner place to wait for Urza. With all that metal and exposed sinew, Gix wasn't apt to come looking for her in the rain. He didn't know we were here. He didn't recognize me until he found the spark in my mind. The spark. She'd had a headache the first day away from Pinkar City, but her back had ached too, along with her neck and jaw, and every other part of her body the aftermath of total terror. There were uglier beasts in the multiverse, meaner ones and possibly more dangerous ones. None of them had a demon's malignant aura. Bored folk had a word, rape. It occurred on every world, in every language. In Phyrexian, as Zanja understood it, the word for rape was Gix. Zanja had scrubbed her skin raw even though Gix hadn't touched her because she couldn't scour her mind. She'd rehearsed a score of confessions too and her great fear as the wind whipped the branches around her is that Gix would find her, but that he'd already found Urza, or a Tepe. Urza could take care of himself. Saja had to believe that. She couldn't let herself believe, even for a heartbeat, that Gix had told her the truth. He'd said, I made the brothers too, and then I made you. And if she believed that Urza's mind was his own, then she could should be confident it would take the ineffable to challenge him in single combat. But whatever she managed to believe about herself and Urza, it didn't help when she thought of Atepe, alone and unsuspecting on the Ahren Ridge. Rat wouldn't have a chance, whether Gix came to kill or corrupt. And when all those memories of Atepe's face had freed her from Gix's thrall, surely some of them had given away the cottage's location. If Gix were inclined to find the man who went with that face. Gix doesn't care, she told the oak tree. Phyrexians have no imagination. Rain pelted, driven by the wind, and Zancha was drenched in an instinct. Urza's armor was strange that way. It would protect her from fire or the complete absence of breathable air, but it was entirely vulnerable to plain water. Zancha clambered down the branch or two, then dropped straight to the ground. She found an illusion of shelter among the briar bushes tangled at the bottom of the hill. Urza would find her no matter where she hid. Her heart, he said, pulled him between worlds. He'd grumble about the rain if he arrived before the storm died out. Not that any weather affected him. Urza simply didn't like surprises. He wouldn't like her confession. The storm moved south without clearing the air. A steady rain continued to fall as a starless night closed in around the briars. Sancha tried to stay awake, but it was a losing struggle. She hadn't slept much in Rusia lore. She'd been busy for one thing, distracting, distributing nine days worth of screaming spiders in less than eight and afraid to close her eyes for the other. The briars were secure and friendly by comparison, and the rain's patter, a lullaby, 
Sanja had no idea how long she'd been asleep and Aurora woke over the name. Over here, she called back. The rain had stopped, save for drips from the leaves around her. A few stars shone through the thinning clouds, silhouetting Urza as he strode down the hill. Ready to go home? He sounded cheerful. Sancha told herself that the confession would be easier if with Urza in a good mood. No sacks? He cocked his head at her empty hands and shoulders. You couldn't get his food and such? Urza gently avoided choosing a name for Retepe. Urza, I have to talk to you. Problems in Rusalor? Are they in the midst of a famine? Not exactly. I didn't have time to scrounge supplies. Something came up. Not to worry. I have any plans anyway. We'll talk at the cottage. He seized Zancha's rich, and before she could protest, they were between worlds. The journey was swift as always. Two strides between nothing and they were on the off-ran ridge. It was also, as always, disorientating. Urza stepped out a hundred paces from the cottage to give Zancha another chance to gather her wits before they agreed with Tepe. Zancha's nerves reassembled themselves slowly, in part because she had to assure herself that the cottage was unharmed. Urza had gotten ahead of her. She tried to catch up. Urza, I said we had to talk. There's a problem. You, Vitepe, your brother, the spiders. All her carefully rehearsed statements had vanished in between worlds. I've thought it through. I can do the work of all three of us for the next nine days. I'll distribute the artifacts that he's made for us, yours, and mine together, and get the next batch assembled. Another aspect of time. I'll live a little faster. It's good practice calling between, before walking. The spiders won't end this world, Sancha. It'll only buy time until I solve the Frexian problem at its source. Urza had gotten over the obsession with writing his brother's fate, but he'd still talked to traveling back in time, much further back in time. Urza wanted to meet the Thran and fight beside them in the final battle against Frexians. He thought they might know the enemy's true home, and although he didn't say it, Sancha believed Urza hoped to go behind the Thran, all the way to the Frexians' first world, to annihilate rather than exile them. Gix had said the Thran were waiting. The demon could have rummaged the name of her memories, or out of Misha's during the war, and almost certainly Gix wasn't telling the truth, at least not the important parts of it. But Urza needed to know what happened in the catacomb beneath Avohir's temple in Pinkar City. I met. I found. She held her, her still tongue. Had a demon left something in her that left her able to think but not to speak? It wasn't impossible. Gix savored fear spiced with helplessness and frustration. She didn't know the measure of the red light's power, but she'd lost an entire afternoon in the catacomb. Munutepe burst out of her memory to save her. She'd been doing the unthinkable, rocking towards Frexia. Zancha, Urza stopped. He faced her and gave her a full attention. We have to go back to Pinkar City. No. Everyone in Pinkar is out of the question. Anywhere we found sleepers is out of the question. You and he have to go someplace, of course. I don't want anyone around when I'm working this time. I, I could wait. I should wait until after the Grimmer Moon rises. We can never know the future, Zancha. I'm sure of that. Only the past is forever, and only now gives us choices. I choose to give the next nine days to you and him, so you'll always have them. Tell me where you want to be, and I'll walk you both there in the morning. Nine days, nine days in hiding while she sorted out her tangled thoughts. It was a coward way, but Sancho seized it. I'll talk to him. A lie. Sancho could feel that confessing to Retepe wouldn't be no easier than confessing to Urza. We'll decide where we want to go. Watepe welcomed them with enthusiasm, a relief of any talked of youth who kept calling for entirely too long. He cast several inquiring glances at his way. She pretended not to notice him while Urza announced his intention to reclaim the workroom for the next nine days. You told Urza, Watepe snapped to Zancha in the moment they were t 
together alone. Now he's taken over everything. Just tell me, did you get my artifacts attacks to Avahir's temple? One, such as truthfully, they're sleepers in the temple, made up of Shraddha, and Shraddha dead in the catacombs. They were finished years ago with Tepe. If there are Shraddha left, they're like the Afrans in the Red Stripes. They're in leagues, consciously or not, with Frexia. She thought of Gix. This wasn't the time to tell him, not when they were both angry. I put your shower spires and screamers too, in places where the glistening scent was strong. I didn't get to the barracks. But Tepe threw his head back and swore at the ceiling. What were you thinking? I don't want to bring Avatar Sanchez down, not while the Red Strike Barracks is still standing. He shook his head and stood with his back to her. When it wasn't what I expected, you should have waited. Sweet Avatar, what did you tell Urza? Sanchez's guilt and anxiety evaporated. I didn't tell him anything, she shouted. Then keep your voice down. Stop telling him what to do. They're on opposite sides of the table, ready to lunch at each other, and now with the passion that normally accompanied their reunions. But Pepe seemed to have outrun himself. Jaw clenched, eyes pleading, he looked across the table. But Zanja was similarly paralyzed. It was her nature, created in Phyrexia and shaped over time in Urza's company, to back down or explode when cornered. This was a moment when she couldn't see a clear path in either direction. The door was at her back. Zanja ducked and ran out, leaving it open behind her. Listening for the sounds that never came, she settled in the darkness wrestling with her conscience until the lamps in her shared room had flickered and died. Approaching the door through starlight, she saw a dark silhouette at the table, where Tepe had fallen asleep with his head in his arms. She crept past him as silently as she crept towards the pinkar catacombs. Her bed was strung with a creaking rope mattress. Zhenshah quietly tucked herself in a corner by her treasure chest. Tepe was sprawled on the bed when she awoke. Urza was in the doorway. The golden light of dawn behind him. Are you ready to walk, he asked. Urza never came into her side of the college. Perhaps he thought she'd been asleep in the corner since Vatepe arrived. They weren't ready to walk anyway. Vatepe wasn't ready to wake up. He was cross-grained from the moment his eyes opened. Sancho expected him to start something they'd all regret, but instead he said, You decide, as he slipped past Urza on his way to the well. We didn't need you to walk us anywhere. Sancha said to Urza as she stretched the kinks out of her legs. Her foot felt as if the boot was lined with hot, sharp needles. I don't want you to be near here while I work. We won't be. Don't dawdle then. I want to get started. Rotepe stayed away while Sancha rearranged her traveling gear. She packed a good deal of gold and silver, which could be traded wherever they went, but included copper too, in case they got no farther than their closest neighbor along the frontier, between the ridge and the coast. She threw in flour for the journey, bread as well, and thought about the hunter's bow suspended from the raptors. Nine days could be an uncomfortably long time to live off journey bread, but a bow could be troublesome in the city. In the end, Zanja put a few more coins in her belt purse, left the bow in its hook, and met a sulking Retepe beside the well. Urza either didn't notice or didn't care that Zanja and Retepe were scarcely speaking to each other. He'd been away from his workroom for nearly half a year, and didn't wait to see the sphere rise before sealing himself with his ideas. The morning sun was framed with fair weather clouds against the rich blue sky. Prairie wildflowers blanketed the land around which the sphere soared. It was difficult, in the face of such natural beauty, to remain sullen and sour. But Zancha and Retepe both rose to the challenge. A northwest wind stream caught the sphere and carried it towards Calveria, southeast of the ridge. There is nothing in the Calvarian barrows to hold Zancha's attention. No destinations worth mentioning but changing their course meant choosing their course, so they drifted into Calveria. 
By mid-afternoon, the tall grass prairies of the ridge had given way to badlands. Where are we going? Matepe asked, virtually the first full sentence he'd uttered since the sphere rose. Wherever does it think you're going? Nowhere. Then nowhere it is. Nowhere is good enough for me. Put us down. You're crazy, Zampa. Something happened in Efren Picard. It's left you crazed. I don't want to be up here with you. Zantra brought them down on a plane of baked dirt and weedy scrub. They were both silent while the sphere collapsed and powdered. What went wrong? Gwetepe asked as he brushed the laugh of his waist off his face. It's not just sleepers. Sleepers wouldn't frighten you. And you're afraid. I didn't think there was anything that could do that. Lots of things frighten me. Urza frightens me sometimes. You frighten me. The between worlds frighten me. Demons frighten me. Sancho tore a handful of leaves off the nearest bush and began shredding them. Let Retepe guess. Let him choose if he could. There is a demon in Avahir's temple? In the catacombs with the dead Shrada? A Fraxian demon? Retepe was uncommonly good at guessing and choosing. I didn't know any other kind. Avahir's mercy. You and Urza didn't find demons anywhere else, did you? I didn't. Why, Efren Pekar? If a freckin' demon was going to come to Dynaria, why choose Efren Pekar? We keep to ourselves. When our ancestors left Argyth, they never looked back. They settled on the north shore of Gilmarnery because it was so far away from anywhere else. We're not rich. We don't bother our neighbors. And they've never bothered us. We don't even have an army, which is probably why we have trouble with the Shrada and the Rib Stripes. But why would that interest Frexia? I don't understand. Do you? I told you. Demons frightened me. I didn't ask questions. Just, just got away. She stripped another handful of leaves. Zancha wanted to tell Vatepe everything, but the words to get her started weren't in her mind. The day you bought me, I told you that you were a lousy liar. You may be 3,000 years old, Zancha, but my eight-year-old brother could fit better than you when he got into trouble. I could guess what he was hiding, because I'd hidden it myself. I can't guess about demons. Zancha scattered the leafy bits and faced Vatepe. It was Gix. I smelled sleepers in the sanctuary. I followed the smell, planting spires as I went. Yours and Urza's both. I wound up way underground in the dark. There's a passageway, one of the big old uprights ones, and there was Gix. You said Gix had been killed in the sixth sphere. The seventh. He was excoriated, consigned to endless torment. We were taught that nothing escapes the seventh sphere. Another Phyrexian lie. You're sure it was Gix, not some other demon? Yes. One answer for both questions. Did he hurt you? But Pepe never failed to ask questions since it wasn't expected. I'm here, aren't I? Then what's got you so wild? Why were you headed off no to nowhere? Unless... Wait a get now. Urza sent you off with a mere moral. He's not that crazed. He knows what I am. Who I'm not. He's going back after Gix, and you're here with, instead of me. I didn't tell Urza. The words but out of her. You found an Frexian demon under Avatu Temple, and you didn't tell Urza? She turned away in shame. Of course, Matepe sighed. He'd yell at you and blame you, just as I've yelled at you and blamed you. And you're a lot like my bro little brother when you get accused of something that's not your fault. And Gix. Gix was the one who got Misha. Misha didn't know. Not until it was too late. Strange thing. They fought of the, those two stones that are now Urza's eyes. But I don't think either brother could hear the stones sing. Zanja took a deep breath. Do you wonder why I can hear them? I can't hear them. I only hear Mishra's stone. I don't know for sure that the Might Stone sings. But yes, I do wonder. I think about it a lot. More than I want to. Why? Did Gig say something about the stones? Yes. He said he made them. 
Then he said something about you and Urza. Zatch's mind added, but not her tongue. But Tepi was pale and speechless. You could have got your name out of my mind. I was careful what I gave him, enough to keep him from digging too deep. But I got in trouble, serious trouble. Zatch's hands were shaking. She clasped them behind her back. He had me, Rat. I was walking towards passageway. I would have gotten into Frexia, and that would have been the end of me, I'm sure. Then suddenly, all I could think of was you. Me? You're the first mere mortal I've gotten to know. You've... Blood rushed to Zancha's face. She was hot, embarrassed, but she stumbled on. Thinking about you pulled me back, but Gix was in my mind when I did. So he could have taken your name, and... Made a lie around it. Everything he said could have been lies. Probably was lies. And why share Gix's lies with anybody? He didn't tell me anything. I didn't know, except maybe, about the Thran. And well, Misha knew some things about the Thran. So Zancha could feel the blood draining from her own face, but Tepper was still dangerously pale. Tell me what Gix said about me. Then what he says about Misha and the Thran. Megan and I can tell you if it's lies or not. Gix said he wondered if I'd find you. And he planned that we were supposed to meet. And about the Thran? When I said Urza would finish off what the Thran had started against the Fraxians, he laughed and said the Thran were waiting for Urza, and that they'd take back what was theirs. Gix was thinking about Urza's eyes. At least, I started thinking about Urza's eyes, and how were the last of the Thran power stones. Gix laughed louder, Then the next thing I knew, I was thinking about you, and not walking towards the portal. What he said about you, and what he said about me, they're lies. Even if Mishra was completed in Frexia, even if his flesh and bones were rounded for the bats, I was one of thousands. We were exactly alike. We don't even scar Ratepe. We couldn't tell ourselves apart. Lies, Ratepe said so softly that Zanche wasn't sure she'd heard him correctly, and asked him to pee himself. Lies. The weak stones are sort of memory. Mostly it's Mishra's memory, but I've been hit with some Thran memories and some of Ursa's too, though not as strong. With Misha... There's personality. I'm thankful I never met him while he is alive. He'd have killed me for sure. With a Thran and Urza, it's like faded paintings. If you're Misha, if any part of you is Misha, the weak stone would have recognized him in you, even though you're Frexian. And if you'd been touched by Gix, I'd be dead. The weak stone doesn't like Frexians, Zancha, and especially doesn't like Gix. Urza's eye doesn't like me. But Tepi shook his head. Sorry, no. It sees you sometimes. But if Urza doesn't trust you, the Weakstone could be responsible because it doesn't trust you. The Weakstone has opinions, influence. It tries to influence. Sancha considered Urza's eyes watching her and Rutepe each till he treated her to her side of the wall. It must be overjoyed when we're together. Color returned to Reptepe's face in a single heartbeat. I'm not Misha. I make my own opinions. What do you know from Mishra and the Weakstone about the Thran and the Frexians? Zancha asked when Ratepe's blast had sped past his ears. They hate each other, with a deep, binding hate that leaves no quarter. But I tell you honestly, in the image I've gotten of their war, I can't tell one side from the other. The Thran weren't flesh and blood, no more than Frexians. Even Mishra, just something the Weakstone uses. Urza's notion that the Thran sacrificed themselves to serve Darmanaria. Maybe that's a Mightstone's influence, but it's not true. My world's better off without both of them, Thrans and Frexians together. They wander away from the gear, Sancha headed back. Maybe Urza will succeed someday in walking between times as easily as he walks between worlds. I'd like to know what really happened back there in Koilos. I'd like to see it for myself. 
is a shadow over everything I've ever known, all the way back to the vats. Matepe corrected her pronunciation of Koilos, reducing the three syllables to two and moving the accent to the first. I heard it from Urza, and he's the one who named it, she retorted. I guess language is drift in 3,000 years. It's still there, you know. Well, it was 300 years ago when the ancestors left Argive. Urza stopped short. I thought it wasn't recorded where the first Ephraims came from. That's part of your myth. It is. Part of the myth, that is. But father said our language is mostly Argivian, and the oldest books before the Shroud of Burntham have been written in Argivian. And if you look at a map, Ephraim Pinkar is about as far away from Argive as you can get without sailing off the edge. And Koilos? Sancha stuck with Urza's pronunciation. It's still there, in Argive? It's not in Argive. It never was. But folk knew where it was 300 years ago. It's like the Antiquity Wars. Something that's not supposed to be forgotten, I guess. It was inaccessible for most of the Ice Age. But when the world got warmer again, the kings of Argive and their neighbors sent folk to the Kear to make sure the ruins were still ruins. Urza never mentioned that. I just assumed Kolos vanished with Argoth. I've seen a map of what's left of Tezier. Zancha shrugged. There were maps in her copies of the Antiquity Wars. She assumed they were wrong and no paid no attention to them. We have to go over the Sea of Laments. We'd never make it there and back in nine days, Repepa said with a smile that invited conspiracy. Waste not, want not. If Gix hadn't lied out with the young Ephon, they were all doomed. We'd make landfall of Igrave in two very cold days and colder nights. Getting back would be more difficult. But it's that or go back to the college and tell Urza I saw Gif in Pinkar City. He wouldn't be pleased to see us. The journey over the Sea of Laments was as uneventful as it was unpleasant. They traded for blankets and an oil cloth sail in a village on Gumnini's south coast. The fisherman who took Zancha's silver thought she was insane. A little while later, both Watepe and Zancha agreed with him. But by then, it was too late. They're in the wash of a rolling wind weather, remaining there until they saw land again. For two days and nights, there is nothing to do but huddle beneath the blankets and sail. Don't you have to keep one hand free, Watepe had shouted early on as they struggled to wrap the blankets around every corner of their feet. Tack across this, he shouted back. We're here for the ride. How many times have you crossed the sea? Once. By mistake. Sorry, I asked. Misery ended after sunrise on the third day. There's land below, land as far as the eye could see. Sancha thought down and thrust her hand through the spear for good measure. Her hand went white as they plummeted down to the familiar altitudes. As her hand began to thaw, Sancha asked, Now which way to Koilos? Where are we? Don't you recognize anything from your maps? Ava here swear mercy, Sancha. Maps don't look like the ground. They found an oasis and a goat herd who seemed unfazed by the sight of two strangers in a place where strangers couldn't be common. He spoke a language neither of them had heard before but recognized the word koilos in its older three-syllable form. He rattled off a long speech before pointing to the southeast. The other words they recognized beside koilos were Urza and Mishra. Zancha traded a silver set at a gate for all the food the youth was carrying. He strode away whistling and laughing. What do you think he said? Zancha asked when they rushed to the gulch where their gear was found. Other than that were fools and idiots? The usual curses against Urza and Mishra. The sphere flowed around them, and they were rising before Retepe continued. Haven't you ever noticed how empty everything is? Even in Ephraim Pakar, as far from Argoth as it could be. It's nothing to ride through the wilderness, find yourself in the middle of ruins, 
from the time before the ice and war. Here in Argive, according to the books the ancestors brought to Pinkar, they were still living in the shadows of the past, literally. They didn't have the wherewithal to build the buildings like the old ruins. Not enough people, not enough stone, not enough metal, not enough knowledge of how it was done. Urza talks about the mysteries of the Thran. The books my father studied about the mysteries of the Urza and Mishra. They all talk about Koilos. It's a place in Tezirer, new or old, where everything come to an end. It's a name to conjure darkness. Zancha caught a tamer windstream and adjusted their drift. Does everyone in Efren Picar talk about such things? Are you a nation of storytellers? Watepe laughed bitterly. No, just my father. And he taught me. My father was a scholar. And both my grandfathers, too. The first things I remember are the three of them arguing about men and women who died a thousand years ago. I was ashamed of them. I hated lessons. I wanted to be anything but a scholar. Then Deshrada came. My grandfathers were dead by then. Ava here's mercy, my father did whatever he had to take care of us. When we got to the country, he learned farming as if it were a Samifat's chronicle. But he missed Binkar. He missed not having students to teach, or someone to argue with. My mother told me to sit at his feet and learn, or she'd take the bell to me. I never argued with my mother. Zancha stared at Ratepe, who was staring at the horizon, eyes glazed and fish clenched. The way he looked whenever he remembered what he'd lost. Urza had buried Misha between layers of obsession. There's little enough in Zancha's own life worth cherishing. Looking up at Pepe, trying to imagine his grief, all she felt was envy. The winds were steady, the sky was clear, and the moon was bright. They soared until midnight, and were in the air after the sunrise breakfast. By midday, they saw the reflections of a giant lake to the south, and by the end of a long afternoon, they were over the foothills of the Kerr Ridge. There were no villages. No roads, not even the bright green dots from the oasis. Matepe closed his eyes and folded his hands. Now what? Zancha asked. I'm praying for a sign. I thought you knew. I do, somewhat. The land has changed a bit since Misha was last here, but I think I'd recognize the mountains when I see them. We're fools, you know. At most, we'll have a day in Koilos if we find it. Look for a saddleback mountain with three smaller peaks in front of it. A saddleback? Zancha muttered and her... Lowered her hand to the get better look. The setting sun through mountain sized shadows that obscured as much as they revealed, but there is nothing that looked like a double peaked mountain, and the wind streams were starting to get treacherous as the air cooled. Zancha looked for a place to set up their night camp. A patch of flat ground, a bit lighter than its surroundings, and shaped like an arrowhead beckoned. I'm taking us down there for the night, she told Otepe, dropping the sphere out of the windstream. He said something in reply. Zancha didn't catch a wor the words. They caused crosswind that determined to keep off the arrowhead. She felt like she'd been the victor in a bare-knuckle brawl by the time the sphere collapsed. Pepe sprang to his feet immediately. Avahir answers prayers, he shouted, running towards a stone near the arrow's tip. Time had taken a toll on the stone, which stood a bit taller than Pepe himself. The spiraled carvings were weathered to illegibility, but to find such a stone in this place could only mean one thing. Pepe lifted Zanch in the air. We found the path. Are you sure you don't want to keep going? She thought about it a moment. I'm sure. Wriggling free, she exposed the mark with her fingertips. Here and there, it was still possible to discern a curve or angle. Places that might have been parallel grooves or raised up patterns that struck deep in memory. Koilos isn't a place I want to see by moonlight. Good point. Too many ghosts, Retepe agreed with a sigh. But we will see it. Koilos, with my own eyes. Seven thousand years. My father. 
He shook his head and walked away from the stone. Zanja didn't need to ask what he hadn't said. The desert air didn't hold its heat. They were cold and hungry before the stars unveiled themselves. Zanja doled out small portions of journey bread and great glowing goat cheese, the last of the dubious edibles they traded from the goat herb. The cheese had its indescribable taste, clung to the roof of Zanja's mouth. Watepe wisely stuck to the journey bread as she watched the sky and the weathered stone and thought, a lot of water. The sphere reeked of cheese when she yawned out at dawn. Watepe displayed a healthy sense of self-preservation, said nothing about the smell. It was all willpower that morning. The wind streams flowed out of the mountains, not into them. She'd been about to give up and let the sphere drift back to the desert when Watepe spotted another stone, toppled by age. They hadn't been in it long when they dog-legged to the right and saw in the distance a shadow-backed mountain overshelling three smaller peaks. With Mishra's memories to guide them, they had no trouble weaving through the mountain spurs until they came to the cleft and hull plateau, or as it had named Koilos, the Sacred Heart. Zanja couldn't have sought the higher streams and brought them over the top. He chose to follow the cleft instead, and couldn't have said why if Ratepe had asked, but he stayed silent. Seven thousand years, and the battle scars remained. Giant pockings in the cliffs on either side of them, cottage-sized chunks of rubble living the valley floor. Here and there, there's a shadow left by fire and not sun. And finally, there's a cave and fortress itself, built by the Thran, the sweet discovered by the two brothers, then laid bare during the war. Ruins within ruins. That's where they hid from dragons, Ratepe said, pointing to a smaller cave nearly hidden behind a hill of rubble. I didn't expect it to be so big. Everything's smaller now. Smell anything? Time. Such replied, and not fastidiously. The scent of age was everywhere in the plateau. The cleft with had shattered it, the Thran and the brothers, but nowhere did she sense Fraxia. You're sure? It will be enough if I know that Gix lied. Sanja stared up the path to the cavern's mouth. The tepe fell behind her as he paused to examine whatever caught his eye. He jogged up the path, catching her just before she entered the shadows. There's nothing left. I thought for sure there'd be something. Urza and I were older than forever, but Tepe and Kolos is older than us. Her eyes needed a moment to adjust to the darkness. But Tepe found the path he was looking for strewn across the stones. Hammers and chisels preserved by the cavern itself. He hefted a mallet. It's wood dark with age, but still sturdy. Misha might have held this. In your dreams, with Tepe, Zatch retorted, unable to conceal her disappointment. Kolos was big and old but as dead as an airless world. It offered no insights to her about the Thran or the Fraxians, or even about the brothers. No matter how many discarded tools or pots, Vatepe eagerly examined. We may as well leave, she said when the afternoon was young and Vatepe had just found a scrap of cloth. Leave? We haven't seen everything yet. There's no water, and we don't have a lot of food with us, unless you want to try some of that cheese. What's here to see? I don't know. That's why we have to stay. I'm only halfway around this room, and there's an open path at the back, and I want to see Kolos by moonlight. Urzai's idea, in the beginning, had been to get to her and Retepe away from the college, to give them some time together. Kolo surely was what Urza had in mind, but Retepe was enjoying himself. Whether they left now in the morning wasn't going to make much difference in the return trip to Galbany, and consideringly what that journey home would take out of her, Retepe decided she could use some rest. All right, 
Wake me up at sunset then. Sasha didn't think she'd fall asleep in the stones, but she did. Until Watabe shook her shoulder. Come, see. It's really beautiful, in a stark way, like a giant's tomb. Sunlight floated through the cavern's mouth. Watabe had stirred enough dust to turn the air into ruddy curtains streaked with shadows. They'd walked hand in hand to the ledge where the path ended and the cavern began. The hollow plateau appeared drenched in blood. Zancho was transfixed by the sight, but Watepe wanted to turn around. There are carvings everywhere, he said. They appeared like magic out of the shadows once the sunlight came up. Zancho turned and would have collapsed if Watepe hadn't been holding her. What's wrong? It's writing, Watepe. It's writing. And I can read it. Most of it. It's like the lessons carved into walls in a flame of fash. What does it say? Names. Names mostly. And numbers. Battles. Battles. Who fought who? Her eyes followed the calm coverings. She'd gone cold and scarce had the strength to fill the lungs. What names? And any that I'd recognize? Gek, she said. And there was another she recognized. Yogmoth, Which she didn't say. Couldn't say aloud. And Zancha among the numbers. Frexian. Thran. We know they fought. Tepe freed his fingers from her death grip. Sancho grabbed them again. No, they didn't fight. Not the Frexans against the Thran. The Thran fought themselves. You can't be reading it right. I'm reading it because it's the same writing that's carved in the walls of every fane in Frexia. Some of the words are unfamiliar. But Tepe, my name is up there. My name is up there because Sancho is another carved in the floor of the fane of flesh to mark where his postal stand. She made the similar marks in the dust and pointed to the similar carvings on the cavern wall. But Tepe resisted. All right. Maybe this is a Frexian stronghold and the Thran attacked it, instead of the other way around. I mean, nobody knows. I know. It says Gix. The silver something. Strong something of the Thran. Of the Thran, Otepe. If Urza couldn't go back in time, he'd find Gix waiting here for me. That's what Gix meant. Waste not want, Otepe. Gix was here 7,000 years ago. He wasn't lying, not completely. Those are Thran power stones that you and Urza call a Mightstone and Weakstone. A stone made the brothers what they are, Watepe, and Gix might well have been made the stones. The Frexians stole powerful stones from the Thran. You're not listening, Zanj raised her arms at a heavily carved wall. It's all three. Two factions. Sheeps and pigs. Bed striking Shadda. Urza and Misha. Take your pick. The glory and the destiny in his compilation. Compilation. The word, Watepe. The exact angle for angle word that's carved on the doors of the flame and flesh. And there, she put in another section. Life served, neither weakens. And the word Thran, Rad, is the first glyph of the word for life. She recited them in Phyrexian. And she heard the similarities as strong as the similarities between her pronunciation of Koilos. If language has drifted 3,000 years, imagine what it could do in seven. Once every once complicated, and only newts have flesh cords in their throats. The sun had slipped below the mountaintops. The marks, the words, were fading. Sancho turned to Tepe's arms to face him. He's been wrong, all this time, almost all his life. Urza's been wrong. The Frexians never invaded Dominaria. There were no Frexians until Gix and the Ineffable left here. Winners and losers, I can't tell. We knew that. We spent over a thousand years looking for the world where the Frexians came from. So we learned from those who defeated them, and all that time, it was Urza's own world. Zancho was sobbing, shaking. Vatepe tried to comfort her, but it was too certain. Urza would say to me that Phyrexian, that's abomination. 
only the Thran way is the right way, the pure way. And I always thought to myself, the difference isn't that great. The fractions aren't evil because they complete. Though they're evil no matter what they were. And those autonomous he makes, he was growing them in a jar. It is right to grow gnats in a jar, but not newts in a vat. The tepe held her tight against her chest before she pulled away. The red stripes in the strata were both. Bad luck for everybody who crossed either of them, she said gently. And so were Urza and Mishra. Any time there's one right way, ordinarily people get crushed. Maybe even the Morvernish and the Basarati. But all the lies for Tepe, all the lies we've been chasing shadows. It's like someone reaching inside and pulling everything out. You said it. The Frexians are evil. Urza's crazed. But he's not evil. He's the only one here who can beat the Frexians at their own game. We wanted to find the truth. Well, it wasn't what we expected. But we found a truth. And we've still got to go back to Urza. The truth here doesn't change, does it? We can't tell him. If he knew his throne were the greatest and noble heroes of Dominaria. If he knew that the throne destroyed Misha. You're right. But Misha would laugh. I can hear him. I can't believe that. It's laugh or cry, Zansha. Otepe dried her tears. If you've truly wasted 3,000 years and you're stuck fighting a war that was stupid 4,000 years before that, then either you laugh and keep going, or you cry and give up. That was chapter 21 of Planeswalker. Please like, subscribe, and follow on YouTube, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening.